My name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. As regular listeners of this programme will know, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And today, that mission takes us to Ashby de la Zouche in Leicestershire, where we're hearing from Rachel Barsby-Robinson, one of the directors and founders of Bilingual Day Nursery Ashby. Rachel, very warm welcome to yourself today. And by all means, thank you for joining us on the programme. It's a real pleasure having you with us. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure, Rachel. Now, um, you sort of helped establish the Bilingual Day Nursery initially, the business that you're running um, around about sort of four or five years ago now. Um, But prior to that, um, obviously, your background is sort of quite varied, isn't it? So um, talking about the bilingual side, first and foremost, I understand you sort of resided in France for a while. And that's where sort of that proficiency comes from, as well as your degree, of course. But you were working in sort of the... uh, the technology sector in a corporate event management position. So what kind of was it for you that made you sort of make that switch from sort of that role to sort of the early years environment? Um, yeah, so you're right. I lived in France for about five years in um, the tech industry, a very large corporation. Um, I decided I sort of reached to the, the sort of point of my career in that role that I was just ready for a change, something new, and um, I'm very much the sort of person that likes to always be learning things and always challenging myself, and I felt like in the role that I was in, I had sort of become a little bit stagnant in that, so I took the decision to move back to the UK, um, and boldly actually had no plans when I came back. Mm. Um, decided to figure out what, where, you know, things were going to take me from there. Um, I was bilingual with French and English, and I'd also done Spanish at A-level and then had taken Spanish classes out in France as well. Mm. So my Spanish was at a really advanced level. Um, when I came back to the UK, whilst I was still um, deciding what, where, you know, life was going to take me, I started teaching both French and Spanish in some primary schools locally and um, decided that that was that for me really and the youngest um, children were the ones that I found the most intriguing, the most interesting to work with and it became apparent to me how young children are like sponges when it comes to languages and learning things. Mm. And it was just fascinating having known that I've become a um, bilingual as an adult. It's actually really hard work, whereas I was then teaching these children who were picking things up so quickly that would take adults weeks to grasp the same concept. And it, it kind of stems from them, really. So the other directors of the business are actually my sisters. Mm. And um, they have another a, a number of other childcare businesses. But they are also bilingual, so um, one of them with Spanish and Italian and the other one with Spanish. And they have also lived abroad. And we sort of had these discussions about wanting to be able to sort of transmit that love of learning and that opportunity to be bilingual down to a lower age group rather than just in primary schools where it's currently delivered. But more so the fact that... um, you know, in a primary school, they might have half an hour or an hour a week of languages. Well, that that doesn't really touch the sides in terms of actually learning the new language. Whereas our concept that we, um, we didn't sort of come up with a concept, but we're the only ones in the Midlands that do it, is 
a totally immersive bilingual environment. Mm. So um, half of our staff are uh, bilingual with Spanish. We have a number of staff with other languages as well. And the children are just spoken to in those languages throughout the day. So all day long they hear Spanish and they hear English. Um, and it's just part of play. They just learn things really naturally. And yeah, you're right. We opened the first nursery about four and a half years ago and our second nursery opened about a month ago. And the progress that children make, it's just fascinating. And it's amazing to see them having so much knowledge spoken in so quickly. It is, isn't it? And um, I've actually studied a languages degree myself, so it's like I do know that total immersion is definitely the, the best way to go about it. It's a fantastic approach, and they do pick it up so, so quickly at that age. It's incredible to uh, to watch. And um, obviously when it came, Rachel, to sort of the establishing the business side, just because that was something you weren't familiar with, um, were you able to kind of sort of lean on the experience of your sisters there, given that they have other businesses of their own to kind of help get things underway, and that sort of made it that little bit easier? Yeah, so with regards to actual setup of the business, so my degree was actually in international management. Mm -hmm. So um, I had some experience um, from an academic point of view of how things were to work and um, how to proceed with different bits and bobs. Yeah, it was really fortunate that um, my sisters, who are the directors, had other businesses. So they were familiar with a lot of things too. Um, I then, so to, to manage the nursery, you have to have a qualification specific to early years. So mm. I did that qualification, which was relatively straightforward, you know, already have a degree, like I say, in international management and languages. So um, it is a what's an equivalent of a foundation degree to manage early years. So I sort of did that alongside whilst we were doing things like finding a location and a building and just setting up sort of elements um, my qualification ran alongside that and then leaned on various different experiences to actually set the business up in the first place. Yeah, and then once, of course, you've got that business set up and you're operating it in the day-to-day, -day, I mean, that doesn't come without its challenges. And I think if we reflect on the previous two years that we've had, we've probably faced as a country and across all industries probably one of the biggest challenges possible in the form of the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. But that's had a particularly strong impact on the early years sector uh, how has it been for yourself sort of operationally trying to manage that challenge um yeah it's been incredibly difficult as i'm sure you can imagine i think most businesses have suffered with challenges over the last couple of years mm. what we were faced with um was things like enforced closures when we went into lockdown where we we can't operate yet we've still got staff to pay um and bills to pay and we, we physically can't open and then when we were allowed to reopen which fortunately for us was only about two months that we had to close for we then had to operate in a different system than before so in like what was called bubbles so we had to sort of group children with members of staff and sort of shut them in a room together and not allow to like mix rooms together which meant that we needed so many more staff than we normally would have mm. uh on site which obviously comes with a cost um so the that element of things is really difficult and then on top of that with all the different quarantine and things you've had to do it as soon as somebody's off sick well or they've potentially got COVID or they've got COVID that was 10 days off 
and then you were getting one in a, a child, perhaps, for example, getting it in a room, and then all of their close contacts had to be out, which meant that I'd not got any children in, but I'd got uh, staff that were fine, or I'd got no staff, but the children were fine, and it was an absolute trying to spin about 25 plates at the same time with managing the sickness or not even people that were sick it was they were having to quarantine for 10 days because they might have been in contact with it it was really really challenging for us to still and I think particularly in in our sector because we're actually governed by how many children we can have and how staff we have to have to go with it so we can't just decide that okay there's 10 children here one member staff that'll do we actually have to abide by the law as to how many staff we have to have per amount of children. So if we don't have enough staff in, we simply can't have the children there. Then that's putting parents out that then have got no childcare. So that was a big challenge that we faced. Um, I think it's gotten a lot easier as the, the years have passed and we've sort of finally got back into a routine of, the children being able to mix with each other and the staff members not having to be so strict. And, and you know, it's things like finding five different areas for lunch breaks so that all the different groups of staff could have their lunch separately. And there were so many constraints, which I think in in large businesses might have been easier, but for sort of context, our nursery only takes about 36 children. And at any one time, we probably only have seven or eight staff. So it's really difficult in a small building in a small setting to be very constrained by rules that have been laid down and you know we totally understand that they they need to be there and it was all to serve a purpose and nobody had sort of put these rules out for fun or to have a bit of a laugh with everybody but it was so difficult and and you know it's that balance of keeping the finances going Mm. keeping the staff going keeping the parents happy and then you know you've got parents that are then working from home so they might need less child care we're very fortunate in the sense that uh, our nursery was almost full before covid happened mm. and we only lost a couple of children whereby the parents decided to either work from home or lost their job or circumstances changed and we then replaced those children really quickly so we're very very fortunate I know that some other nurseries, um, not particularly local to us, but in the local area, have had to close because their numbers have just dropped so dramatically that yeah. it's just not sustainable for them to be open. So, you know, I'm hugely fortunate and very grateful that we've not been in that that sort of depth of, of, of troubles. But it's yeah. definitely not been without its challenges over the last couple of years, for sure. Yeah, of course. And it seems uh, very much uh, the case as well. And uh, obviously, since during the pandemic as well, I think we've become a lot more aware of kind of our own mental well-being and that of those around us as well. I suppose living through a period of crisis management, if we choose to call it that, you probably kind of learnt a lot in the way of sort of soft skills as far as that's concerned as well, haven't you? Sort of safeguarding your own mental health during a crisis, that of the people that you work closely with, you happen to be your family, but also working with, you know, sort of children and parents who might also have been feeling anxious during the last couple of years as well. Yeah, that's one of the things that was, I felt a lot of pressure in the first lockdown. You know, I think at that point I got about 
15 staff members and it was right okay now we can't open we've all got to close and I've got 15 people relying on me for their income and it's like what are we going to do how are we going to manage this and that year that was sort of before Trillo went out mm. various bits and bobs it was like a, oh well now what's going to happen and and like you say yeah it's definitely made me more aware of I mean I've got two young children of my own and it's made me a lot more aware of the kind of you know what's important in life but also like you say it's that mental well-being of the children and what they pick up on and and then it's that sort of staff team and and how they're doing and and then there's parents like you say there's people that have lost their jobs there's people that um have had change of circumstances there's a lot of things that have happened over the last couple of years that have been really difficult for a lot of people and there is definitely a lot of pressure as sort of managing director of a business that we now, I think we've got about 24 staff now. And the pressure is there on a, in a very much like a service industry mm. is we're relying on those staff to run our business. And it's really important that they're fine and that they are well. And it, it's not easy when you don't have all the answers and that there's no sort of easy solution. And, in sort of times of crisis, you know, worldwide pandemic, there's sometimes not much that I can do, yet I still need to be there and I still need to support everybody else and ultimately get the best out of everybody um, to not lose the business because ultimately if the business can't run, then then there's no money for anybody and I can't employ the staff either. So it's a really, really fine line with a balancing act. Um, which has definitely become more difficult. But like you say, I, I think my skills with regards to spotting things and um, keeping that sort of eye out for people's well-being yeah. has definitely changed over the last few years, for sure. I think it adds truth to that sort of phrase, doesn't it, that it's lonely at the top sometimes. And when you are, say, the CEO or the managing director of a business, people are looking to you for the answers and you don't necessarily have them because, you know, the situation's so volatile, it almost changes by the day. It, it is difficult at times like that to keep a cool head, isn't it? But it is something you just uh, you just sort of have to do in those situations. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think it's, it's difficult when people are looking to you for answers and they're looking for you to, for solutions and you just think, I don't, I don't have any. And, but it, you know, it's that sort of old saying of, of, you know, looking like the swan on the water and that they're really graceful on the top and underneath, you know, their feet are going and trying to swim as fast as they can because I'm trying to keep, you know, head above water and keep everybody going yet half the time not actually sure how that's going to be achieved and um i think things have definitely leveled out and uh it seems to be a little bit more plain sailing moving forward but it it definitely can be a lonely place at the top when there are so many people looking up to you and relying on you and it's so far out of your hands it's you know prior to that in the business it's yes we are governed by certain things in early years and there are certain rules we have to follow certain things we have to do but that's all guidance and that's fine and you can refer back to that and manage from that and if something, you know, crisis happens, there's a solution in place. Whereas when it's a, a, a pandemic, like you say, there's no answer there. And no matter how hard or how far I try to search and find for answers, there's sometimes just 
aren't any. Mm. And it's a case of, well, wait and see. Well, right, we'll do this. And then tomorrow, hang on, that's changed now. And then the next day, guidance has changed again. Now we're doing this. And trying to keep on top of all the guidance that kept coming out in relation to educational settings and earlier settings was a challenge to maintain and read all of that as mm. well as trying to still run the business, run the nursery and all the staff that came with it. Yeah, because essentially you had to kind of decipher all of that guidance yourself and act on it accordingly, didn't you? So that just sort of made it all the uh, the more difficult, absolutely. And um, fortunately... Yeah, yeah. That, oh, sorry. Yeah, that's all right, do carry on. Um, I was going to say, yeah, the um, guidance here, we'd be given sort of 20, 30, 50-page documents mm. of, right, here's the guidance. You've got to read and unpick that and then apply it to your setting. And some things are sort of guidance, some things are recommendations, some things where you have to do it. And then it's a case of looking at our specific nursery and well, how can that apply to us and how can we make that work and is that applicable to us? And it was a very time-consuming job, which took up a lot of time and hours that could have been spent elsewhere. Um, yeah, it was definitely difficult with, with all the new and changing guidance that kept coming out. Mm, it certainly was it certainly was and uh, fortunately of course as we touched on earlier we are now out of the acute phase of covid so that is something that we don't have to worry about in the uh, the day-to-day anymore um but we are grappling with sort of the after effects of the pandemic and something called the great skills resignation or the skills shortage which has obviously been exacerbated by the last couple of years um now in the childcare industry obviously many sort of practitioners may have left the sector because of covid they might have obviously sort of changed their priorities realized they might fancy moving into a new industry and then also um i suppose it's particularly applicable for people with the skills that you need in a bilingual nursery as well new immigration rules of course have uh, sort of bitten down hard on several industries and that's made it all the harder to sort of bring talent in um Obviously, it's something that is affecting the sector by and large, Rachel. But have you sort of felt the impact of this at all? Or is it something that you're more sort of observing from the wider perspective? No, we've hugely felt the impact of it. So um, I think, like you say, some people have left the industry. Um, a big thing, you know, we face is people wanting flexible work and wanting work from home. Well, that doesn't work for a nursery. I've, I've got to have mm. people there, physically there. And I can't offer things that other places can. So it's really difficult to compete for that talent. Um, and then, again, like you say, immigration rules have been a big thing for us because we like to have 50% of our staff to be Spanish native level speakers. Mm. Well, now we're having to apply for visas for each one, which is a slow and time-consuming and very expensive process, which has now been another um, crush to that with the Ukrainian war. Mm. All regular visas have been paused whilst they sort out all of the refugee visas, which is fine, and I understand crisis happens, but it's another spanner that's been thrown into our work in that I've currently got seven people that I'm waiting for their visa to be approved, and we've been waiting for a good couple of months already on some of the visas to come through. And meanwhile, I'm sort of waiting here. I've got that job open. I'm, I'm waiting for that person to come. Mm. Um, that's really frustrating um and then it, it, even staff in the in the uk it is hard to find i think another thing i think people are reluctant to change jobs at the minute it's fearing perhaps another um round of covid or fearing change in the sense that if they're in a new job are things differently i think there has been that 
sense of people wanting a bit of a security blanket and sort of staying mm. where there are. I mean, I know a lot of industries are really struggling with recruitment. I think another thing that we find difficult is, you know, our margins are quite slim. And um, with regards to three and four-year-olds, they get thirty hours, 15 or 30 hours funded childcare a week from the government. Now, that funded childcare is paid to us at a rate significantly lower than what our actual childcare rate costs. Mm. So we're actually not, we don't really make any profit at all on that older age group because of what we receive in government funding. So our margins are very, very slim to be able to offer things like higher salaries and offer a lot of perks that perhaps some other places would be able to. Um, I think if you know we were totally private pay, that would be different. But a lot of people don't have that budget now, so we yeah. have to take the government funding for those children that are eligible to have it. But it it is a bit of a cripple, I think, on a lot of nurses and from you know other managers and owners that I've spoken to. The levels of funding really are making life generally very difficult um, because we're dictated our sort of profit margins and stuff are dictated by the fact that we are actually receiving less from the government than we would be charging parents to cover costs and various bits and pieces um, and therefore can't offer other incentives and things for staff which it's it's really difficult time and um, in terms of sort of you know moving forward we're having to rely a lot more on staff coming from overseas but like you say, then the visa and immigration process is mm. slow, is expensive. Um, whereas we didn't have that a few years ago either, so that's all come down like a bit of a nail in the coffin, really, and that's all happened after Brexit, which coincidentally has been at the same time as all the COVID pandemics happened. Uh, so, you know, and I think nobody really had any warning as to how much immigration rules were going to change, because I think had people been aware people may have tried to get more people over sooner i think the sort of strictness of the rules and how stringent the criteria is for bringing people over now on a visa for us anyway i don't think we were we fully understood what an impact that was going to have until it was already put in place and we realized that actually it's a total game changer for us in a not good way and we're now having to really forecast ahead with regards to uh, future recruitment and staff that we might need and especially in our second nursery only opened a few weeks ago mm. so as the children numbers are increasing the staffing levels need to also increase and we simply can't get people here fast enough and you know and then you've got people relocating and things in the UK and moving out of the sector that it's just a huge shortage in the workforce for us at the minute. Yeah, it's a real plethora of challenges in it, and I think you make the um, the, the the point uh, very well there that since the beginning of twenty twenty, we seem to have had sort of Brexit being enacted and then COVID hitting at the same time, and now we've got, of course, the recruitment shortfalls being more severe in the wake of the pandemic, the cost of living issue as well. It doesn't seem that we've had much respite at all in the last couple of years. So let us hope, of course, that the situation uh, does improve and. As you sort of engaged, Rachel, in this balancing act over the uh, the next few months, um, and hopefully it will be months rather than years, um, I'd be interested to understand what your thoughts are on what's sort of next for the business moving forward, just before we wrap things up. What are you sort of envisioning for the future? Um, 
so we, like I say, we're really grateful in terms of our Ashby nursery is still, uh, our numbers are really high. So um, it's a case of maintaining that and keeping our current clients happy. Um, and our new site, our goal really is sort of filling those seats. And again, we are really lucky in that despite having only been open a few weeks, we've got really good numbers there already. I think having had the first, setting quite close to here we've um we generated quite a lot of interest and there's um sort of word of mouth out there about our brand and about our nursery and and we are so unique and offer something completely different to anywhere else locally but actually our our goal really is retaining the clients that we've got filling up the spaces in the new one and then really, I think recruitment-wise is a big thing for us is trying to forecast ahead and, mm. and put through those visas in much more advanced notice. And they're t- sort of taking so much longer than we had anticipated or even at some of the first visas that we put through have taken. Uh, it's, it's really a case of juggling when we think we're going to need staff here by, because we don't want them here too soon because if we've not got mm. the income to pay them, it's that fine line between I can't have too many staff when I don't have the budget for it but yet then if you get a sudden influx in children's numbers I do need my staffing to go up um relatively quickly so um yeah I think over the next few months it will be still ironing out those challenges again with one of our settings being a new a new nursery that in itself has its own challenges so it's a bit of a juggle of, of everything like that I think Despite it being a challenge, I think we are in a very positive position and, you know, said several times, I'm really grateful and really lucky for the clients that we have in their loyalty that they stuck with us through this pandemic time. Mm. Really grateful and lucky to the staff that we've, we've got at the moment as well. They're all absolutely fantastic and so hardworking, so flexible and, you know, they are a great asset to the business. And, and like I say, people choose a nursery for their service and without that staff we wouldn't have that service so um you know i'll kind of do what i can to keep the, the staff as happy as, as possible and support them through changes that might be going on and um yeah i think it is a positive future for us out there uh it just it definitely isn't plain sailing and it isn't without its challenges mm. i'm definitely optimistic with regards to what the future is going to hold for us Absolutely so, and uh, that optimism is incredibly infectious, and I do wish you all the luck in the world moving forward in sort of addressing these challenges and continuing to operate well, because it is a very unique model that you have, and I think, of course, there's a lot of value that needs to be placed upon language learning as well, particularly from such a young age, so it is incredibly important that practitioners such as yourselves can keep going, keep providing those services, and I think as we start to understand as well how the situation's evolving and what next challenges may be on the horizon, if any. I think it may even be good to catch up on this in future, Rachel, because it's been brilliant hearing from you today on the show and it's been fantastic having you on, so thank you. Thanks very much for having me. It's been an immense pleasure. And uh, lastly, of course, just before we wrap up, uh, please do take care and stay safe with everything still going on in the world as well. Yes, thank you. Nice to speak to you. Likewise, it was fantastic having Rachel Barsby-Robinson from the Bilingual Day Nursery Ashby in Ashby de la Zouche, Leicestershire on today's programme. And I do hope that everybody tuning in thoroughly enjoyed the interview. 
Um, if you do, of course, happen to be listening in today and you are a business owner yourself or the leader of an organisation which you feel might have its own story of success and innovation to share with us here at the Leaders' Council, then by all means, we also want to hear from you. So why not also apply to be on the programme via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Until next time, to all of our listeners, you've been listening to the Leaders' Council podcast with your host, Scott Challoner. Do take care and goodbye.